Um, I'm Vanessa Garcia, and I'm a writer and one half of the Abre Camino Collective. I'm Victoria Collado. I'm a director, and I'm the other half of Abre Camino Collective. Hi, everybody. My name is Jenny. Welcome to a Lit Podcast. Today, I have two very special ladies who have been at the forefront of advocating for the situation that's ha been happening in Cuba over the last couple of months. Well, over the last, you know, better part of the century, but you guys have really pushed through in the last, it's been what, four months already? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's been four months, but I feel like this has been Vanessa started since like 2005 doing this. And I want to say since 2017 is when I really feel like I'm like yeah. starting the fight for Cuba. Yeah. That's that's incredible. Thank you so much for, um, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this a lot, but for using your voices because not everyone does. So, yeah, I mean, it does. It, it feels weird to to feel just for someone to say thanks for something that is like really the people who are poniendo la piel as we say and putting their skin on the line are the people in Cuba like all we have to do is talk in a free country so it's not it's not it's nothing in comparison you know mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I I get that but when you look around and you see that everyone else is quiet then you know that little bit that you feel like means nothing means a lot Yeah. Well, and also that I think that something that we both advocate for is the Cuban American voice, because for so long we've been told that we're not allowed to speak because we weren't born on the island or whatever reasons that were given. And there is I think it really clicked in for us or, or at least for me. I don't know when it clicked in for you, but for me, it clicked in when it was like, oh, we can translate things. Oh, we we have an American mindset. We understand. Right. Um Um, the American culture, and we have an in to the Cuban culture, how can we become translating, um, uh, like being able to do that communication? Right. And, and I don't know if you want to. I mean, for me, I feel like the it's almost and I, I think that's true that the it's like the Cubans on the island and Cuban Americans are coming into their own particular voices at the same time in order to make some kind of a bridge for the same cause. Um, and I do feel that at a certain point, after a certain point, um, nobody can tell you what you're not. You just know who you are. And uh, I don't know if it's age <laughs> or or what, but after a certain point, you just get tired of it, you know, and you just say, well, this is my story and I'm not going to not tell my story, you know, and that has it's not just the story. It's all the validity of lived experience, passed on experience, and then also all the reading and study and like everything that's put into it. You know what I mean? Like we've been, I, I mean, I've, we've been researching Cuba even just this week, 12 hour days of interviewing people and continuing to get the story. But that's for years, years and years coming apart from, you know, like the womb. Right. Right. There's the womb. And there's also the the, you know, as you're doing the research, you, you learn things like I mean, it's one thing that I clung on to, which is like my did most of his work, a lot of his work in exile. Mm -hmm. And it was all of this like from the outside trying to do that. So just the ownership of where where you are in a bodaje 
is valid and it's useful and it can be a tool. So that's something that we try to make sure that's why we were starting the why Cuba matters. Uh, we were like, there's all this information that we have all the time that we're processing because we have access because of the stories that we tell because of the work that we do. How do we make it palatable to Cuban American audiences? That's really what, what, how that started. And also as like, you're literally putting together a puzzle and it's almost like, okay, when you have to, when not, not when you have to, when you really want to, right? Because you're writing something or you're putting something out into the world and you're starting, you, you're forced to look at all the puzzle pieces that are coming out, meaning here's this video that came out from this artist and they said this on this day. And then on social media, this happened. And then the European Parliament did this. And then, and so you're actually making that thread. And I thought, we thought that it was really valuable to say, okay, we have all these pieces now. It took a really long time. Let's like, you know, like since it's chewed up right now, let's like, <laughs> here's this little <laughs> nugget i don't know like, uh, yeah we're, we're passing on the homework so that people have the cheat sheet yeah <laughs> exactly oh i like the way you put that yeah that's perfect that makes a lot of sense um so since you brought up the fact that you were not born in cuba it's so interesting to hear you say that you've uh and correct me if i'm wrong but the way i understood it was that you didn't feel um a certain right to speak about it for me personal, my personal experience, I, I have been a blabbermouth uh, for my entire life. And I, I the story, the folklore goes that when I was little, I would get upset when my parents would say, no, tu eres americana. And I would get mad. So I'm like, no, soy cubana. I, I think that's also part of like being the only one in the family that wasn't born in Cuba. Right. But for me, personal experiences that I had were uh, were in the past couple of years, even before before even meeting Vani, um, talking about Cuba and people telling me, well, you don't really know or you really can't talk about that because you weren't born in Cuba. I, I remember a meeting that I had with an artist that was Cuban and I was like, oh, yeah, because I'm I'm Cuban. And she was like, oh, they get bad. And I'm like, oh, I was born in Miami. And she goes, oh, no, you're not Cuban. <gasps> so deal. No, and it's happened a ton of times. But at this point, I'm like, and also meeting one of the most Cuban people I know in ever, Vanessa Garcia, um, you kind of just say like, no, I wasn't born on the island, but I do identify as Cuban-American. Uh, like Vanessa says, American-born Cuban. I do acknowledge that I have both parts, but that Cuban part is is totally filters my American experience. Like it's not, you can't do one without the other. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think there was a moment in college, for example, when I was like, I'm not I'm not going to write about Cuba. I'm not going to, you know, I'm. this is not what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to, you know, write about these other things and figure out language and do these other things. And and then all of a sudden I found myself writing about Cuba and saying, oh, I need to write about Cuba. And then the thing that really sort of like made me push harder every time was that I would be pitching stories and I would be writing about Cuba and I, and and literally I would get responses from from editors that that would say nobody cares about Cuba. Literally, I, I in in response and um, nobody's going to read this. Nobody cares. It's not important. And I just felt like, oh, wow, I really need to keep telling the story because if you're telling me it's not important, then how are we going to keep the line on and make sure that there's a path that gets built? Because then what? 
You know what I mean? Like then it's it's almost like, okay, if you're saying that, then we need to build the road and then we need to freaking pave it. And then we need to do all those things. And it's not just us. It's every single person that's putting a brick on that road, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Yeah. I think it must be so difficult, right? To to identify with a country and a culture that you weren't born into. Not born, mm-hmm. sorry, not, let me rephrase that. You weren't born in, you weren't born yeah. on the island, but yet you have this strong connection and this pool, right? So you, you're you you're a self that exists in two places and to have somebody tell you like, oh no, you're not, that, that kind of, that sucks. Yeah, and I think also that it's a thing that I, that you identify with, like by every other standard, you could say that I'm not American. Like by those standards, you could say that I'm also not American. Right. Exactly. Because, um, which both would, I, I would say, uh, the best way to say that is that I am not a Cuban born on the Island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just feel like what happened there. And I, I did take it to heart when I first heard it, I was what, 23 years old. And I was starting, I had just moved to New York from being in Miami, which is the, in Miami, you all identify, Oh no, I'm Cuban. Oh, I'm Colombian. I'm this. We don't say to each other, I'm Cuban American. I'm Colombian American. I'm Venezuelan. Right. We're just like, no, I'm Venezuelan. I'm this, I'm that. So that kind of, um, culture cr- clash was, was, um, one that I even took to heart. And then it took a whole process to get back to feeling like, oh, I can tell this story because I do know it because inside my house, I literally, it, it felt like I lived in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I met my aunt in Cuba for the first time, it did feel like I was talking to my mom. I told, I told you that, that I was like, it felt like I was hugging my mom. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and I think with you, probably it was so shocking because you are so Cuban. <laughs> you know, what? it must have been like, what are you talking about? That's so interesting because you're born here. Right. And and you feel super Cuban and people think, except that lady that doesn't know what she's talking about, <laughs> that you're Cuban. And I was born in Cuba. And I remember for a good part of my childhood, people telling me in Cuba were asking me, where was I from? That I was not Cuban. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. (laughs) So it's... That's crazy. It's it's so interesting how people uh, get pigeonholed into what you should look like and how you should act, you know, in order to identify with your culture that you're born into. It's not like you all of a sudden decided to be Cuban. Mm-mm. That's That's been passed down to you from, you know, the things you do with your parents and all that stuff. So um, yeah. tell me about that first trip. Well, each of us have a, a different a different story um, of the first trip. My first trip, um, talk about like being from a place and then really feeling the need to have to go to this place. I do think that there is a completely valid Cuban American experience of the diaspora in which there are people that have not gone and are still Cubans of the diaspora, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I really, really felt that I could not continue to write about Cuba if I didn't put my feet on the ground. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. 
my mother. I have um, so many stories. It took, I always say it took me 15 years to convince my mother um, that I was going to go to Cuba. <laughs> and that sounds ridiculous to Americans. Americans are like, what do you mean? You just go. Um, no. When you have yeah. a Cuban mother, that's not how that works, especially when when I thought like one of the times that I had tickets in my hand, she had a vein that I thought she was going to I thought she could like have a stroke oh, from no. the intensity of you can't go. Yeah. And then finally, I I was like, OK, I have to finish. This is when I was doing my Ph.D. I was like, I have to finish my dissertation. I'm going to go. I'm sorry. This is I'm just letting you know now. And I really want your blessing. And she, her response was, OK, I'm going with you. Aww, that's nice. <laughs> and now as a mom i'm like okay that was such a twofold thing of like fine you're gonna go then i'm just gonna be there right by your side and also i think there was curiosity at mm -hmm. that point because there was so much conversation about it but um we went together and it was incredible it was incredible incredible on the flight on the way there the person behind us i mean we drank where we say we drank a coca-cola and we landed um, because it's it's right there. It's ridiculous that it takes so long to get to these short 40 minutes right on, right. A, on a plane. The person behind us said, wow, que corto viaje, que largo llegar. Yeah. And it was everything. Wow. It was like it was the beginning of that entire trip, you know, and mm -hmm. My mom, the second she got on the tarmac, you know, you have to get off the stairs still and walk across the, you know, the the to the to the airport. And she um, she just started. She broke down like a little bird in the middle of the of the tarmac, essentially. And um, and then from then on, it was just like she was so scared scared and then like thrilled and then like home and then everywhere we would step she'd be like my grand my parents can you imagine because we went to where she grew up mm -hmm. can you imagine how many times my mom and dad went up and down these stairs and then I remember we went to like when we got there she was scared she wanted to stay in a hotel because she felt safer, even though there was the conflict of we're giving the Cuban government money by staying at a hotel. But I was like, OK, let's just for the sake of your sanity, um, let's, you know, do this. And then we uh, she was scared to go out, you know, like she the last memory she has was a terror. So right. she was scared to go out at night. I was like, mom, come on, let's go. Tirate pa la calle, let's go. <laughs> and so like that first night, it was kind of like taking her little by little. And then, you know, she loosened up. But that first night, the furthest I could take her was to a malecon. And the waves were like crashing. And she was like getting baptized by the freaking water. And, you know, every every little I, I can go on and on, but I, I need to give Vicky a turn. <laughs> <laughs> you can we have to share. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it was pretty incredible. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, I have a picture of that. Like I took a picture of my mom on you know like receiving the waves from the other side it was pretty amazing well that's that what's funny about that is that actually that was one of the things that my mom said you need to get and it never it just didn't happen because the waves weren't crashing but um my experience uh when i was graduating college I did mention to my mom, I was doing a, my thesis on La Lupe. So when you graduate FIU theater, you have to do a, a unit personal show. Mm -hmm. 
and you have to base it on person in real life. And I was obsessed with Alupe. I still am to this day. And I told her that we should go together uh, before my, technically before my senior year. And we say yes. And then my mom uh, gets sick. So and she can't travel. And then for years, it was like this whole, um, you know, I moved to New York. I, everything that's happened to my life is, has been like, oh, you think you're that you're going for three months to New York and all of a sudden you stay six years in New York and little things like that. So, um, you know, I was every time I say, mom, we should go to Cuba to get when I get better, when I get better, when I get better, when I get better. And when I get better, it turns into actually close to like six years of to like it better if you think about it, it was 2012 and then we do Amparo in 2018 right 2017 2018 and I don't know what it was actually uh three things happened uh one Vanessa and I are obviously constantly having conversations about Cuba and this guy who works at Havana Club Gio uh I forget about this Gio uh Gio says to me hey we should go to Cuba and I'm like you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go to Cuba. We're going to make it happen. And then Gio actually backs up from the trip. And this is 2018 when things are like, oh, it's like still that like Obama openness and like you can just get on a plane and go sort and of, you know, right. You and I don't know why you feel welcomed. And I think for me, again, it's like that very long espera for these 45 minutes, 45 minutes. But when I tell my mom, you know, I was like, she was like, why can't you just wait and all this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know why I feel like if I don't go now, it's not going to happen for a very long time. Hmm. Um, and it's it's the same thing that happened to me with New York. She was like, why do you have to go to New York? What do you have to do? And I'm like, if I don't do it now, I'm going to regret it later. I've always had like I can tell like, I don't know. In my gut, it says like now's the moment you have good intuition. Um, yeah. I, uh, what I've discovered recently is I have a good sense of direction. <laughs> like, I, like, I'm like, I'm supposed to do that. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like inside. Mm -hmm. um, Gio ends up backing out on the trip. So all of a sudden I'm going to Cuba for the first time by myself, by my literal self. Um, and my mom organizes the whole trip. And she was like, OK, you're going to do this, this, this. She makes uh, I still have the paper. I have a paper of all the addresses of all the places we're going to go. She's like, you're going to go and you're going to meet your aunt. Uh, your aunt's going to pick you up and you're just going to you're going to do it there. And I'm like, OK, sure. <laughs> and um, you get on the plane. All of a sudden, it's 45 minutes. Like you went up, you went down. My favorite thing is like little pretzels and stuff. And I don't think that I even got pretzels. <laughs> um, but we're going through and. I'm sitting next to this couple who's obviously they are probably going on their honeymoon to Cuba. Like that's probably what those two were doing. And I know I remember that one of them was watching Ferdinand the bull uh, on their little screen and through their little window, like you could see Cuba. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm having this whole thing. And this guy's like trying to finish Ferdinand the bull. Also the flight is 30 minutes. Like, why would you try to watch a full movie in that? But he's Funny. having this whole. Yeah, I, I wonder what he's experiencing. And then getting there, it just felt like the best way I could explain is that it feels like a click, like, oh, click. There it is. Like it, it wasn't for me. It wasn't like this, like what I actually was expecting was like, I found myself. Um, it was like a click. Oh, and and I guess it's like the click of understanding that I that I, who I am in the mm -hmm. sense of like this is. I have lived with Cuba um, in my life 
um, even though I haven't been here because it actually felt very familiar, which mm -hmm. was weird. And then, you know, that was honestly the best trip of all of them. Uh, and then I ended up going four times within one year, not even on purpose. Like it was like, I went then in May and then I went on a group trip afterwards. And then I felt the clip, the window was closing for me to go. And I went one last time and I haven't been able to go back. And I don't think I can go back until Cuba is free. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah, for sure. At this, it, at this point. Yeah. 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 Um, when you went, did it feel like what you were expecting it to be? Did it meet up expectations? Uh, for me, yes and no. Yes, in that I my parents are very good storytellers. So I like my mom would talk about these one particular stairs in her church. Um and that uh it was exactly how she said it. So I was like this, like the paintings of what they had said was very clear and I could see them all. I think where, where I, I could, the no part of that answer is that I can see how you can stay focused on just surviving. Mm -hmm. And I think that I hadn't understood that, what that actually meant. Like you can have a very happy life <laughs> in like, you know, you can, you have family and it's very, you know, you have that, but it's um that doesn't mean it's a it's a life of human rights it's just interesting like what that meant to mm -hmm. observe that and i don't i don't think i actually can even capture that unless i actually lived my aunt's life i mean for me it was really different each time i went and the things that were surprising were obviously surprising i didn't expect them um <laughs> <laughs> i but for me one of the one was that for I would say three of the four trips, I was for the most part really depressed when I was there, mm -hmm. which I wasn't expecting. And then when I came back after the first one, which had been a more joyful trip while there because I was with my mother and there was something to that, you know, um, when I got back, I was like, oh, my God. God, Miami is so cold and everybody doesn't touch each other and it's yeah. rigid here. And this is Miami, which is not like right. the least place in the world. But I felt I was I remember and I'll never forget. I was driving down Coral Way. CVS was to my right, like that one on 27th Avenue. And I was like, mm -hmm. what the? this is like super cold here. This is horrible. And then, of course, three seconds later, I'm like, I love Miami. But <laughs> But but in that moment, I remember thinking and feeling that. And, and of course, I don't I, you know, for for a flash of a second, you think of what our parents felt when they got here. But I really I the the real surprise for me was like there is a difference. And I was talking to my mom about this and, and she she said that she had the same feeling of feeling very sad at what we had lost mm -hmm. in terms of like, even though at least for, you know, like the Cuban families that I know are so tight knit. And so my mom loves to use the word enmeshed. Um, and it's like really in each other's faces and you, you're all together all the, I mean, at least my family is really like up in each other's business all the time. Um, but even so there is something that has been lost a certain warmth and yeah. something, you know, and, and you feel it. I, that surprised me because I, I felt it.
for the first time. You just reminded me of something, which is like coming back. I also felt that. And I also felt like I could the architecture of Miami. I was like, oh, my God, this is it's not that dissimilar. Like the house, like like those houses are broken down. Most of them, especially when you go on on a non-tourist trip, like you see those houses, but then you see the architecture here and like what? Like I felt like we were inside a nostalgic uh, insane asylum because it's like we built we built what we couldn't build over there with and understanding what exactly what you're saying is like there is that loss of like we built it also on pain right so there's that yeah I think that's what what really marks us as a group the fact that we were transplanted here not necessarily by choice um if if that makes any sense you know, we came here because we lacked yeah. the most basic things, freedom. Yep. Um, so I, I think that has that leaves a huge scar that's going to linger for generations. You know, I'm sure our kids are going to feel it. And probably their kids were going to feel it, too. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's intense. Um, <laughs> so since you're both uh, Cuban-Americans, um, I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, that deep connection that we were just discussing. You know, it, it seems like there are two camps, either people like you who are really connected to their culture and people who are just like, yeah, I mean, my parents are Cuban, but whatever. I was born here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it it's interesting to see how they're so polarizing, you know, how you have someone like you ladies who really has that love and understanding of where they came from and somebody that's completely unattached. So mm -hmm. to what do you credit um, that closeness? Um, I think for me, it was definitely that my parents didn't stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I essentially lived in Cuba, you know, and when I say this and I say this in the writing all the time that like, you know, my, Miami for me is is Cuba's moon or its satellite. It's just something that exists very near and is essentially part of, you know, in the orbit of. And it, there's no there was never a not telling of the story. There was never I think for some people there's a trauma that gets blocked. And for mine, I don't know if the it just went the opposite direction. Except my grandmother, there's an entire section of my grandmother's life that I have no idea about. And so with her. And she won't talk about it. And oh, with wow. her, I can. Yeah. And and she has all these nightmares and like literal nightmares. And with her, I can see how an, a generation could disconnect, because if all you know is that kind of trauma that's blocked, then you don't have the information. You're constantly trying to grab at it, you know, and you can go two ways. Right. You can go around it and sort of carve them out of negative space and figure it out or or you can just say, OK, I don't know. I don't have access. I don't have access. I don't have access, which is the island itself. You know, yes, like that's the thing. Uh, they are the island. You either go and jump in and say, you know, F it. This is what I'm doing. Or you have to carve it out or it's over there adrift and alone. <laughs> and so, I mean, my 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 family is full of, you know, what I call freedom fighters in the in a sense, they 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 fought in the unions they fought in one was in prison for 15 years one mm -hmm. uncle was in prison for nine years and so it's it's not those stories 
were just infinite and I always wanted to know more. And when the end of their tales came, then I went to go read about others and started to ask questions of the people who were my generation over there now. You know what I mean? So any kind of connection. So I think it's that. I mean, I think it's it's definitely my family in my case that just yeah didn't shut up about it. Yeah, I mean, similar. It's similar to me. What happens with me? What? Because I'm like nurture versus nature. Because mm-hmm. it's interesting. Because both of me and my brother had very similar experiences. Yet I have this insatiable need to understand all of Cuba, and my brother's just fine with it. Like I don't know if it's that his sister's just gone crazy, and, uh, <laughs> and he's like, "All right, we got the we've got the legacy of the crazy Cubans secured with that one. I'll be the normal one." Um, but I mean, a big part of it, just like Vane, you know, my family, you know, it, it also like my parents came in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So and and then I was born nine years later. So it was right there. Uh, they it, my grandparents only spoke Spanish, just like I think. I mean, your grandpa spoke English, too, right? My, my grandfather spoke English, but my my grandmother never learned English. Yeah. So uh, there was that for me. And also that I went to Jose Matiscul. And La 32 Avenida next to Ebrazo Fuente. Uh, <laughs> and um, the reason I go to that school actually is because Jose Mendez School, number one, was right across from my aunt's job. And I mean, that school, it was tiny and it was it was Cuban educators. It was people who were kicked out of Cuba and had mm-hmm. to start schools again in the United States. And we were when we're taking Spanish class, we're, we're reading La Edad de Oro and we're celebrating a 28 de Enero and we're celebrating Mayo 20 and I'm walking down 8th Street with a Cuban flag on. Like there's like all of this that's happening right. that. Um, and I think that there's like I also bought in. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like and I want in on this. Right. So, I mean, my grandma was somebody who would go to the Elian uh, protest. My uncle was a political prisoner. There was just like all of Cuba all the time. And I mean, we talk a lot about it, too. It's like we're 10 years apart. You couldn't tell because we both look young and beautiful. Yes. Um, uh, but we're, we're 10 years apart. Um, but it, it, what's interesting about that is that there's things in my child, like how I think of Elian is as a nine year old. Mm-hmm. And then Vane was a 19 year old. And so sometimes I'm like, Vane, what was going on? Because <laughs> like, I just remember yelling as a kid. I remember our school let us protest for Elian and staying. But um, it's just that that dynamic, like it was also a very weird time to grow up in the 90s and Cuba and all of that. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about Elian, I was I was in college and I was in New York City and everybody. I remember that for me, that was the first Mm, I don't want to say culture shock because I had a culture shock before that when I had gone to Brown for a week that lasted one week. There's no way I would have been in Rhode Island. I was like, I need to go to New York. Um, uh, That was like, I was like, what is this? You're like the third person that I've heard say those exact words. I was there for a week and there was no way I was going to stay for longer. No. It's like, what the heck are they doing up there to the Cubans? Yeah, no, Nobody at least stay. It, it was it was not good. I had a stomachache the whole time. I was like, no, 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 I can't even eat. Um, so <laughs> and that's how you know if you're Cuban, something's yes. wrong. If you cannot yes. eat, you know, something's seriously up. <laughs> it's real. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, so then I was like, okay, well, you know, that story's long, but I, I was like, oh, I, I definitely can find my place at a, at a, in New York. I can, mm-hmm. I can live in New York. Right. So I was like, okay, I was at school there. And, um, one of my professors who I deeply admired, um, and I thought was a really intelligent human being still do. I don't know what kind of thing comes out of people's mouths sometimes when it comes to Cuba, but she says to me, I mean, Vanessa, you're, you're, this is at an office hours. You're a smart girl. And then right there, you're like, oh boy, here we go. Um, you're a smart girl. And you know, what is going on with all these crazy Cubans? I mean, come on, send the child back. And I was like, oh, wow. So hang on. <laughs> you're going to basically sit there and first of all, say what needs to be done without knowing the story at all. And you're also going to talk to me like that. I, I remember that I just said, it's very complicated. That's all I could say to her at that age. I was 19 years old and in her, and I said, it's, it's very complicated. And I left as soon as possible her office that day. Wow. And I will never forget that because it, and it wasn't the first or the last time, but it, the impact was almost the opposite. You're a very intelligent professor, aren't you? <laughs> I'm, what's wrong with you? You should have um, said that. Yeah. You say that one of those I, moments that later on you're yes. like, darn it, I should have said. <laughs> but it was a very different experience to the extent that it is forever ingrained. And I ha- I've had to continue to research Eliana and around Eliana, and I'm not done with that story. But I think one of the things to answer an earlier question is that when you when you're when you've decided that you're going to tell stories and then someone tells you you can't tell a story or you mm-hmm. don't have access to a story it's like well i need to re- i need to go do that because there's a reason you need to tell it exactly. you know and it's not a matter of like cabeza dura it's a matter of excavation and why aren't you allowed to say yeah. that and art needs to be free which is where we are mm-hmm. right now you know what i mean and so i'm bearing witness to yes Yes. And something, you know, whatever that may be. I, I think it's, it's part of the human experience and validation to bear witness to something. Yeah. I I mean, I also have friends who their parents wouldn't tell them anything and then they ended up trying to find the Cuban story for themselves. Right. Like that's, that's, um, it, it also comes with like, I, I also think that there's something about like, even sometimes our own family members saying like, Bueno, tú no entiende. Mm-hmm. Es que tú no entiende. Es que tú no entiende. And you're like, but I'm trying to. And so mm-hmm. then I, and I, at algún punto, you're not as cabezona as Vanessa and I. And you're like, bueno, yo no entiendo. Yeah, ya, and you punto. walk away. No entienden. And mm-hmm. you walk away and you're like, I'm going to go live a very American, calm life uh, or, or Miami American because that's a whole different thing <laughs> than to the rest of the world. That's, yeah. that's a culture shock. So then you're like, if you're going to push me away, I'm just going to push. I'm just going to walk away. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I can't tell you why these two mongas are this <laughs> intense. About it. I, I hope I hope it rubs off on other people because we need more people like the two of you. It's, you know, and, and whatever led to to this recipe I need it so that I can pass it on to my kids. (laughs) You know, that's one of the reasons why I ask you that question is because, um, you know, like I mentioned before, I was born there and obviously my kids aren't. And I'm always trying to find a way to 
to create that balance. Like, yes, you're American, but you're also Cuban. And, um, you know, we also have all these other mixes in our in our family that I want to make sure they learn to appreciate and they grow up with. Something we've been doing a a series of interviews like we were just talking about this week. And um, Damian is Damian. I only think of his Instagram, Damian Palante, Damian Padron. (laughs) That's his name. Damian Damian Pardo. (laughs) Damian Pardo. I asked him, like, well, why? Why do you feel so activated? Why do you do that? Or like, what's the way I forget what the question was, but he said storytelling. We have forgotten to be storytellers and tell each other stories. And I mm-hmm. think that that's I will say that the stories my parents told me that is such an influence on like we have to keep. And I think that's why we're so adamant about it. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow somehow we found each other and. Really, I do think we're all stronger together. That sounds cheesy, but it's true because when one person it's it it wasn't always easy to post or speak about Cuba, you know, in the way that I think because there's a community of people that are doing it now, it has become easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I say that in, in the real in the real way of like, let's continue to do that, because I think that that is super important that we support each other in in dale dale you know like spread the thing and go to things together and make things together and be sure that we're here and present you know like i keep hearing like in the marches you know the names of 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 the prisoners and the presente and i'm just like i'm here presente god damn it presente and i think also that we're used to just to talk about that keeping the fire feeling something that's been two experiences that have happened to us and one that I can speak on. I noticed at the beginning, a lot of friends, especially when they live outside of Miami, uh, they feel like no one hears them. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have a, a close knit uh, Cuban unit where you're like, when you can't see it, because we're so used to instant gratification. Yeah. That sometimes you feel like you're talking to the void and, uh, and that it's going nowhere. Right. And, you know, we have a lot of artist friends that are, you know, New York artist friends. And I remember we had one meeting and a person that never posted anything about Cuba at all. You know, that person was like, I just want you to know that we see you. <laughs> like We're looking at you and we hear you. And I had a friend, um, Molly, who uh, who actually said to me, she's like, hey, uh, if you don't keep posting about the New York about the New York stuff, she lives in New York. That's why I said that. Uh, if you don't keep posting about the Cuba stuff, I actually won't know what's happening. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, and I don't talk to Molly every day. I haven't talked to Molly. Actually, I hadn't talked to Molly two years before that because pandemic and I had moved away and all that. She's like, yeah, I only keep track of that because you're posting about it. Um, and this isn't because I directed Amparo or anything like that. It's just because it's my friend, Molly, who knows her Cuban friend, Vicky. And <laughs> Vicky talks about Cuba. And then Molly's like, oh, that's what's happening in Cuba. Molly's Jewish and the, the Jewish story gets twisted around all the time. So she's like, I'm going to listen to the, this person. Right. Which puts a lot of pressure. I think it's also fair to say that spreading truth is very, very, very important. Yes. Yeah. I have to agree with that. Um, let's talk about the dictatorship in Cuba, the elephant in the room. Yes, let's. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I hear the excitement. Um, (laughs) let's start with, do you think it has transplanted to Miami? 
Hmm. What do you mean? Do you think it's it's jumped ship? It's come over. It's mutated. It's infected us here. Because <laughs> oh. it's another pandemic. I I have thoughts. I'm gonna. This is gonna. I don't think this is gonna come bite me in the butt because I stand by what I say. I think that there is. A, I'm trying to see if I'm understanding the question of I don't think it's obvious mm -hmm. if you will I do think that there is history and there is proof of this of infidels that has always yes. been a thing um that is not new um and also when you do a lot of re I always Vanessa's done with me repeating the same shit over and over again <laughs> but there is there's this one um there's this one podcast uh, called I Spy And there's this one episode on Cuba and um, and the guy pretty much just like I would just encourage people to hear that at that that podcast themselves, uh, because it's just essentially saying like Cuba is a propaganda machine mm -hmm. um, and it will continue to be a propaganda machine over and over and over again. They're not going to stop it. That's what they did with the medicines. Like I remember a friend of ours posted a thing uh, when they were, they were sending doctors during the pandemic and like, look at these people doing this. They're so brave. They deserve yeah. a Nobel Peace Prize for all this stuff. And then, you know, months later or actually a year and something later, you know, there's a, a health care system collapse in Cuba. So mm -hmm. they are a propaganda machine. I think that my response to that question, which I don't know if I even answered it, um, is that that is why we can't stop yeah. spreading truth. And and what I mean by truth is that there's a difference between fact and opinion. A mí me entra unos zumbos, but this is why I'm so like I'm so lucky and grateful that I work every day with someone with a journalism background. And like verify it. Can you verify it the other way? Can you verify it from three angles? And it's a lot of work, but I think that that's important. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, but I think that needs to be verified because it's a constant th and they are like, they are a constant machine of propaganda. I mean, I think that the, the, the way that we live, especially if you're really involved in Cuba, Mm -hmm. And meaning if you're really involved in telling the story of Cuba in whatever way, shape or form, it, the way that we live is so foreign, I think, to so many people in terms of like there has already been a, a creation of separation by the Cuban state and by the dictatorship among the Cuban people. They're constantly trying to divide us and they succeed so much of the time, you know, yeah. um, so that we're all fighting. And this is something that has come up in these conversations that we've been having this week. Everybody understands it as a thing that happens. And the other thing that people don't understand, because people, you know, to this day, I, you know, I have a conversation. Well, you know, what's been going on in Cuba. And they're like, no, what? So there's no sense of the place it comes from. So therefore, you can't recognize it when it's here. So there's no way that like you can actually see it if you don't know the source. You know what I mean? But at, mm -hmm. at us and I think this is such a it's it's such a cliche that I can't wait for the day that we can be we, we can show all the proof of like here was this person who was a spy in our show. Um and here here this person, you know, we're not crazy. We actually yeah. know it and could probably prove it 
in the way to each other. But how I need to prove it to you is like some next level shit. You know what I mean? So I can't wait for that day that it's sort of like, you know, the lights go on and all the little cucarachas appear and you're like, oh, my God, because I, I feel like when you're in it, you see it everywhere all the time. And then you just say it and it's, you sound to other people totally insane. Mm-hmm. Yes. You sound insane. And something that I had to check myself with was like, oh, wait, Vicky, you've lived with this story for 32 years. Part of those years, you were like, there can't be spies. <laughs> there can't be that. And then, you know, doing what we do, we, we, we have our little encuentricos and you're like, oh, and then you start looking at stories and you're like, oh, 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 oh. And it's like, it's, it's all over the world until, until you start to, re- you start mm-hmm. to see you're like, you can spot it, right? You start to spot things, but there are people who are not Cuban who don't even like there's 62 years worth of like undoing of propaganda. I mean, we've all been talking about, we've all been talking about And when I say we, I mean the bubble, uh, the, the people who understand this conversation, we've been talking about the Che Guevara problem for forever. And still the other day in rehearsal with a whole brand new cast, somebody was like, huh, but I'm so confused. What in a genuine way, in Mm -hmm. a genuine way of like, I'm very confused. What are you talking about? And I'm like, we just have to un- like, it's just undoing and doing. And so I try to remind myself like one, pretend that nobody knows the story. And I'm very sorry to anybody who's hearing a repetition of it, but we have to start from zero and we're constantly trying to prove things. I mean, how many times do have you even. And I think, I think the thing with, with propaganda and with, um, and with communism, for example, is that you're constantly dealing with slogans, which are surface. And if you do not understand the depths mm-hmm. behind the surface, because every surface has depth, if not, it isn't a surface. But if you're only looking at the surface and someone else actually has the depth of that surface and you're just looking at the surface, you have a major problem. Yeah. You yeah. have a, what you have is a huge disconnect between the two worlds. And so you're, you're dealing with flat symbolism and you're dealing with something that's incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. which which the Che Guevara t-shirt is one of. Yeah. Because if you really know the meaning of that, there are very few people that would wear it. Oh, my God. If you really know, yeah. you know? Yeah. You, it, yeah. I would hope so. I would hope that they wouldn't wear it once yeah. they understand what everything that it, it entails. But, and the thing is, though, that because we have, as Cuban-Americans, been discredited to such a great mm-hmm. extent, I, I find myself constantly like my articles are full of 70,000 hyperlinks when I hand them in to the point that my editors are like, we don't need this many hyperlinks. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, but I need to show you where I receive all of the things and the 3000 sources that are behind this, because you're not going to believe me when I tell you this thing. And that's a problem. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, I I had gotten, I was trying to explain to someone, this was before Vane and I even do Amparo. I think we had already met each other. We're about to do Amparo and I'm working with I'm working with someone who's bringing up Che as a hero. And at that time, I was not stacked with information. I did not have the facts like I didn't have like. And so I was like, I have nowhere to grab. I know because I know the stories and I know this and I know that. 
but that's the other part of like getting this is why we have to know our stories and i mean I think the term crazy Cuban really comes in during the Elian time that I have personally deduced. This is not. It's probably slightly before. I think Mariel, Mariel helped like kick the, the as we say, the golden immigrant off the pedestal. And then and then there was Elian yeah. and there was like, you know, there's levels of 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 Google banana that were labeled splattered all over us, you yeah. know, um, totally. <laughs> There's never been a movie more quickly approved than Scarface right after Mariel. Like, my God, yeah. do you know how many stories we pitch on Cuba? <laughs> and I swear, like, Scarface went like, Phew. I was like, oh, OK, great. Thanks. Now we're all drug addicts with guns and selling cocaine to everybody. Mm -hmm. Great. Pelicans. And pelicans. Yeah. And now the cocaine cowboys find, you yeah. know, put the, the stamp. And listen, we have to acknowledge that there's there are people who did do oh those yeah things. for sure that is part of the story and we have to we cannot that's the other part uh van has always been adamant about this it's like you cannot uh remove any part of the story mm -hmm. not one like we cannot yeah. say that time with batista was great because it wasn't it was a dictatorship and there's a reason why people want to change and it's a disservice to us to not tell that part of the story because if we don't tell that part of the story other places in the world can fall in the same trap. Mm -hmm. It was a different type of dictatorship. There was still murdering of people. There was all of that that's happening. But if you don't understand the context, if you just think that the story is everything was great and then Fidel came in and everything, like, if you don't understand human beings, you can it, you can make the ma same mistake again. Yep. Definitely. Honestly, it's exhausting. Yeah. And sometimes you just want to be like, peace. And then you're like, oh, yeah, you have to fight for peace. Okay, come back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's funny um did you ever encounter any of like the Guevara propaganda when you were in college yes yeah. i mean yeah. i had i mean i had a i had an an italian friend who was dating a guy named ernesto after ernesto de Guevara. um and then like you know professors left and right mostly left um are uh, <laughs> i'm sorry i'm like with the mom jokes of the <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> oh my god i don't know what's happening to me <laughs> i love it it's <laughs> But oh yes, goodness. I was presented many times with uh, a straight up, like straight up. The, the grace that I had, I think, was that there was that. And then there was also some brilliant human beings mm -hmm. that are like and read and read and read and dig deeper and dig deeper. And like I remember one of the most valuable classes that I had was on um, post. Uh, it was on a Cold War. Cold War mm -hmm. America. And it was essentially we started with it was like a massive amount of Vietnam. And then, you know, like we had there were so many aspects to it, to the point that I remember I almost became a historian instead of a uh, like writer, which we are in a way anyway. But but the that was, you know, there's also that. So I, I have to say that in all fairness, it was both. It was both. And then there were people that, you know, and then all the campus organizations and then all the people that are like, um, when you tell them you're Cuban, you're like, oh, did you did you come from Cuba? No. And you're like, wow, <laughs> no. Do you know nothing? But then you realize that actually some of these universities actually do have people from 
the government and the mm -hmm. as as we're getting now this the the, the hierarchy <laughs> of you know and then that's a whole other freaking world yeah um you know the children of the children and the this and the that and um there yeah yeah it's it comes i think from oh what am i talking about of course and then in my phd i had literally one of the people that was trying to like i'm not going to say exactly what and where because i don't want to point this person out but oh my god tremendo comunista but like massive to the point that i was like okay i have to navigate this carefully because yeah. this is actually affecting my um future right mm -hmm. now so let's navigate wow oh, yes you did yeah, tell me that story yeah no which is fair and then isn't um, it so interesting to see the people like that living in a yeah. country like this oh yeah you know I, yeah i i think that to this day like anybody who's like un comunistoide like they're that and i'm like i'm like how like how are you this person like how does that make sense like i don't know it just seems to me like the most yeah it must be ridiculous. nice to be you know all this like yeah equal everything for the people in your ac and your car that works it's and you your bank what? account yes it's just that and and i don't know if this is a good like uh theory or a way to put it but this is the only way i can explain it and i've been explaining it lately it's like we like we have to take off the demo the democracy colored glasses mm -hmm. take them off and then put on what other people in other countries look like. I think that there is a legitimate, like we have friends who call themselves socialists and we're like, no, you are not. You are not a socialist. You are oh, not my, one. My, my favorite. I mean, there's, there's so much with that, you know, like yeah. we literally see, receive it every day. And I posted something the other day and it's like, uh, that, <laughs> but, I saw but, that today. Oh I think God. what you're talking about, your yeah. definition of, so I saw that today. And the oh whole time God. I was just doing this, nodding, <laughs> nodding my head. Yes. Yes. Do yeah. people not have a dictionary anymore? No, no. Can we, no, because can we same start owning thesauruses and dictionaries, please? Because socialist does not mean any of these things that no. you stand for. No. And you have to and you have to then ask yourself, like, if someone is first of all, then there's people that are like, nobody's calling themselves socialism. Like maybe in the tiny world that you live in. But every day of my life, there's someone telling me that they're a socialist mm -hmm. or a communist. Um, literally every day, yeah. every day I have to hear this. I would have um, a heart attack. Yeah, if I had to hear that on the daily, uh, on the daily, Be on the freaking daily. Um, yeah. I just want to say one thing. I'm going to hand it to you. But but you also can't say things like. Cuba is a failed state, but we cannot be afraid of socialism. You no. can't actually say that because you can't. There is a reiteration of words because what you're saying is you just said failed state because Biden just went on TV and said that. And mind you, I voted for Biden like this is not, you know, like he just went on. So now you're using that word, right? OK, failed state. That is now acceptable to you. So now you're using it. OK, great. You understand where that came from? Do you understand that the reason why it's a failed state is because it started with socialism, mm -hmm. went into communism and that the failed state is that and that mm -hmm. that socialism is a failed state like it just is. It's been proven. Oh, it no. doesn't work, guys. It's a you know great idea. Sure, maybe. I mean, I don't like it because I don't want to be unfree, but 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 it's not it doesn't work. I also think 
Fíjense, ahora me encabrono. Eh, go for it, go for it, let it out. The, the irony of all these things is that we forget, like, I just find it so funny that we're very vocal, and as we should be, mm -hmm. about being against our elected officials. Like, we are, uh, you know what I mean? Like, we are yeah. totally criticizing them when they fuck up. Sorry, I'm not supposed to curse. No, them. you can. No, oh, free speech. Well, when free they mess speech. up. We're free here. <laughs> when they mess up, when they do something good, we're allowed to criticize at all times. Right. And yet people are so willing because I think that they think that there's an ideological, like, super saint-like person who's mm -hmm. going to be, at the, you know, really taking care of all the people. Do they not realize that the very people that you're saying would be the state that controls you are the very people you hate. Like, I don't understand why you giving up your power and the one piece in the puzzle where you have control, like, oh my is, God. I mean, this is not, no, you got us on a roll here. Um, <laughs> no, this is good. This is perfect. Um, but, but, you know, I think about like all these, all these people that, for example, during the pandemic, right? Um, a lot of people that I know have, you know, have a lot of access to wealth and that's great. You know, someone, I believe that someone in their family worked for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes they did they themselves, you know what I'm saying? So like they they'll have, you know, the house in the Hamptons or the house or wherever. And during the pandemic, there was the luxury of being able for those people to go to those places. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you open that up to everyone in your neighborhood to come with you to that giant house in the Hamptons so that hang out with you because they didn't have access to that? And maybe they should because, you know, why not? Well, if you're not doing that, then how the heck are you expecting that human element? Because that's what that is to work on a on a state level. It's not going to. It's not going to. Yeah. Not going to. And it shouldn't. No, there's oh, there's it shouldn't. I work really do believe in meritocracy, you know, like, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, I have to agree with you a, a thousand percent. You know, like you said, if if somebody in your family, if you work for certain things to leave a legacy for your children and your children's children, why shouldn't they enjoy that? And why? I, I just I don't understand. We just I don't know. We forget. I think that there is these. um we forget that we're human beings and that we're dealing with other human beings who have wants, who have power hunger, who have, you know, like there, there's a reason why democracy freaking works because yeah. at the end of the day, you, they have to go and they have to cater to you. If yeah. not, they don't get elected again. Exactly. That's how, like, that is a checks and balance. Yeah that that keeps this society free mm -hmm. and and you having a say in how you want to live and to go back to this like human element you know there's plenty where the the house in the hamptons is on the other side of the the coin of like all the freaking people in the world who have opened their doors to like you have nothing and you're opening your doors to the, the los refugiados que están llegando because you're like yeah. oh i've been there come come inside come inside exactly. you know what i mean so there's you know you don't have to does that make you a socialist no In fact, you ran away from socialism and you know they're running away. So abre la puerta. You know what I mean? And yeah, that, and it's complicated. It's complicated. And that's not to say that you cannot better democracy, that you cannot better the 
and you know we live in a capitalist country you cannot better capitalism that you cannot better the systems in which we we you know i think and <laughs> i believe that our constitution gives us room to change that there's uh, amendments there's right. ways for us to make the room and to use our voice to make it a more perfect union yeah, we can't we can't we can't start the thing that gets to me the most is this whole idea of we should dump the constitution and no. and yeah. and no no, 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 we amend the constitution. It's literally on a really basic level. It's like um, people who are like, my life is really hard. I'm just going to move to California. Guess what? Your life followed you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you have to work on it. OK, work on the you freaking know, when I hear things hard? like yeah. that, I think about, you know, our families in Cuba and what they went through. Uh, people in all sorts of other countries in other continents that are literally dying to get here so that they can, you know, go to school, sleep in a house that has AC, bathe with hot showers, you know, be able to buy a sandwich. And we have people here going, my life is so hard. I mean, granted, I'm sure you're going through something. The whole world yeah. is. It's called being alive, you know? But, I, I mean, just look at the footage of people climbing onto planes mm -hmm. to get over here like you know what i mean like and holding the american Afghanistan. flag yeah. and you know what i mean like we cannot we can we can complain absolutely as long yes. as it's making sure that we're creating a more perfect union i also want to give a fun fact that today is the anniversary of the constitution yeah thank you so much I got an anniversary. I got a little email today about it. So just letting you all know. God bless America. <laughs> yes, I second that third, whatever, whatever number I have. <laughs> but uh, to bring it back to what we were talking about, uh, communism oh, yeah. and socialism, I really think that people, once people understand that this idea or these ideas appeal to us in a very basic way, and it's an idea of envy. And it funnels that it sets, you know, it flames a fire because they're we're being told that, oh, I lack or I'm poor or I'm this or I'm that because someone has more. And these are real. I think that the other thing is that these feelings cannot be dismissed. Yeah. No, because there are problems in America and we do have to fix them. But it is the. Well, we have to be weary of. And this is why I say it's important to know the Batista era. It's important to know those things, because when you start manipulating real people's wants, needs and feelings, and it's not just, you know, some people, you know, I don't walk around being scared of getting shot in Miami because I'm a different color of skin. I don't live with that reality. Some people in this world do. You know, and I also think that some of the things that that um, that we talk about a lot are like there are there are basic rights that we all should have access mm -hmm. to, like free education. I'm like, uh huh. There's public school. Yeah. Like we do have that, actually. Mm -hmm. That's we, we have free education. Is it great? No. Should we pay teachers more? Yes. Yeah. A thousand percent. Should we make it so that everybody gets less? No, no. Just pay them more. Mm -hmm. Pay them more money. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. and, I would be willing to say as a teacher that education here is not at the level that it should be because it's Absolutely. a socialist program. If we got rid of looking at education that way, we might actually make it a lot better. So there goes my two That's cents. interesting. <laughs> you know what? I had not thought of that because I yeah. think that one thing for me, one thing for me, especially when um, I forget what year it was, but they were talking about the budget. Like, I don't I forget what it was. It was like the amount of 
money that the education uh, system was getting and the big federal budget was oh my God, I can't even explain. Like I got so upset because I was also working in arts education at the time. And I was seeing oh. like I was I was reading surveys from seniors who were graduating and were supposed to go to college who could not spell things, who could not like I'm talking about like it's very bad. And I'm like, and, and, you know, I had kids that I would mentor that they would say like, well, we don't have, this is in New York and in Brooklyn. Uh, we don't have a principal. We have a master ambassador. And I'm like, what the what heck is a master mean? ambassador? It's one person who's in charge of five public schools who manages the budget for five public schools in Brooklyn from poor sectors and that person chooses to use the money. So all of a sudden the kids are asking for, as they should, for more access to books, for more things, because they want to better their education because they want to better themselves and they want to, you know, move their life and get ahead. And all of a sudden that person's, I don't know, spending the money on things that aren't necessary. So yeah. this is, this is a big problem and education. I think education is a number one. I think that if we got better at education here, we would solve a lot of our problems. Yeah. I agree with that. Absolutely. <laughs> we got to but the very depressed <laughs> part of the conversation. We lost Vanessa. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I just, I mean, I, I do think that education should be free. I, I wish that it was better. You know, like I, I feel yeah. like it needs to be better, you know? And of course, if we're going to do the comparison point, um, education is you have free education here. You have free education in Cuba. The one thing you don't I mean, you're not going to get like the the textbook with with uh, Fidel and the the, the the indoctrination to that to that level is out of control. Um, I mean, I, I think that also people don't understand that what that means, you know, like what what those books are like. But um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's. It's interesting to look at education in Cuba and education here because there's always that argument of like education in Cuba is so great. Mm -hmm. And um, there is something, some truth to it because you have kids that, you know, myself included, that come from there and I start school here and all of a sudden I'm ahead of my class. And I don't yeah, even speak English. Mm -hmm. so it's like, how, did, how does that happen? But you start digging deeper and, you know, I'm in sixth grade. I'm still, you know, just starting junior high. I'm still in elementary school. Education in Cuba is great up until you get to high school. And then it's a shit show because that's when the deep indoctrination starts to happen. You have to go. If you decide that you're going to go to college, you need to, you know, be affiliated politically you need to prove yourself you need to go to all these uh marches and all these political events um you need to make sure that your family also is affiliated and you can prove that in order to be able to choose a career which is like three right you could be a teacher an accountant or a doctor that's it mm -hmm. for screw everything else we don't need <laughs> nothing else here um and then that's when you go okay hold up that free education is not really that great because it's not producing citizens that can actually perform in society. Well, and, and it comes to with a cost of it's also like it comes at a cost of you owe the 
the government because I remember mm-hmm. that the reason that my dad couldn't leave without I'm sorry totally letting you no, hold <laughs> um, the reason that my dad thank you uh, the reason my dad couldn't leave the country is because he graduated from the university mm-hmm. and he had intel uh, from the government because he had studied, he had gotten a degree. He was the only person in his family that got a degree. So it's like, at, uh, te lo sacan la gara. Yeah. Después yeah. Tiempo you're punished. You're punished for it. And also when the indoctrination is like the world exists, we heard someone this week who was like, <laughs> who was like, yeah, no, I came and I was smarter than everybody else. I also did not know that a world existed outside of Cuba. Mm-hmm. So, yes, some things are definitely better from what I'm deducing. You know, I didn't go through that education system. But when the world is built around Fidel is the greatest person in the world, you all have to love him. You also have to go every single time that he speaks or now any of his goons speak. You have to sit there and you have to go, because if you don't go and if you don't show participation, you don't participate in the propaganda of like we're so loved by the world, which, you know, that facade, I think right now is gone. Um, yeah. So. It's not that free. I mean, I think that one of the things that that um, that I realized as soon as I started talking to the dissidents that were my age, mm-hmm. you know, like in the early, early 2000s, really, um, which they would tell me, you know, there's there's one thing when your parents are like, no, you have to go to those marches. Those are all forced people to a guy who's your age, you know, in their 20s being like, oh, you know, they, they literally put you on a bus and you have to go to the thing and you have to go. And, yeah. you know, when I didn't go, I got punished for not going on on a very real level. And the idea, I think the other thing that that happens. So one thing we're interviewing all these people and now that's recorded and that feels so valuable, you know, because it's over and over and over and over again, the same story and the same story and the same like, you know, there is no refuting that it doesn't happen when it's not one testimony it's hundreds it's gonna be thousands Mm -hmm. you know like it's it's just irrefutable and that is glorious you know like that's when you're like okay those those moments of like that that gathering of work it's it's a it's a really important thing and the other thing with with education that i think is important is you can have a great education let's just let's just let's just say okay it's great right let's well, what do you do with it? Yeah, mm-hmm. because one of the things that 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 we've been talking about is all of these people who are 20 years old and saying, I have no future. What am I going to do? I can't leave. I can't even travel. I can't get out of this island. Um, I want to stay here and make it fruitful. I'm not allowed. I step one thing outside of the irrevocable socialism that's dictated in the Constitution and I go to prison. What do I have? Exactly. No, and that, you know, some people what story we got a story today that the person had studied something like either psychology or something like that. And um, it's been a couple, but I remember. And then that person was like, well, I actually make more money during tourism mm-hmm. um, because my like my field is all of them. So then you're you're studying these things, selling pizza and you're doing all these things to make sure that you survive. And that's the thing is that Cuba keeps their people constantly in survival mode. Yeah. So you don't have time to question. You, you don't have time to do anything when you're no, because trying to do survive. I go to, right. And when you're in a cola for five hours trying to get something because you need it, you need your child to eat the, you're like, well, I can't miss la cola. 
(laughs) Well, it's even what you have right behind you, which is what we're looking at. Read, think, live. When someone dictates to you what you can read and and really limits what what you can think publicly. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you freaking live? Yeah. Yeah, you don't. It's that they're living in Cuba is living a life on pause without being able to stop time. God, you know, (laughs) I've been thinking about it for many years, Vicky. I've been thinking about it for many years. It was really good. (laughs) You can quote me, girls. (laughs) But honestly, that's exactly how it feels. And the first time I had that thought, you know, my my dad came here when I was seven and my dad and I were like, you know, uña y carne. Like, where there was one, there was the other. Um, so for me to all of a sudden not have him was like a huge shock. And that's when, you know, I start every day. It was like, okay, just one more day of the calendar, you know, before I get to get the F out of here and mm-hmm. live a normal life. So it literally for three years, it, that's what my life felt like. It was on pause without being able to stop time because you can't. But everything mm-hmm. else was on pause. Your dreams, your aspirations, what the future is going to look like is on pause because there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, which I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times from yeah. everybody that you talk to. Yeah. I and, mean, to, the, to our families back home, to back yeah. home. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. It's just not fair. I just get frustrated. I, I get super frustrated because um, not because I think that we're the best. But I kind of do in the sense of like, <laughs> it's like the most annoying I knew she was going to say that. <laughs> but I think I think that our people are so talented and yeah. so smart and so creative and, and resilient. So, yes. Yeah. And, you know, a person today was talking about that. And it's like th- that part of the problem is that we're con- we're so quick to disobey that we solve mm-hmm. the problem. But it's it just breaks my heart to think like, Cuba right now could be for real, like for real, innovating a shit ton of things. It could be at the forefront of all these things, like the artists, everything could be at the forefront. And yet there's this, I was a kid and I would, I I remember asking, I think it was my dad. I was like, Bobby, porque que si Fidel quiere a Cuba, porque la, la, I, I forgot what I must have said. Like, it? Hurts like yeah, right. Yeah, like why does why does he hurt her? Like it didn't make sense to mm-hmm. me that that if it's a place that you love so much, why would you hurt? Like it didn't make sense to me. Like why wouldn't you want it to be at the top of everything? And then you know now I'm older. I'm like, oh, he's an uh, egomaniac and right. a narcissist, and it was all about him. Because, um, you know, in the middle of the freaking special period, instead of helping your people, you build an anti-imperialist platform in front of the <laughs> U.S. AID. While while you are on the Forbes list of the one of the richest men in the world. Yes. It's one layer after another. It's disgusting. The whole yeah. thing. It's so gross. And, and it's that's the part that shocks you that with all the proof and the history that we have, there's still people today telling you, you know, what you said a couple of minutes ago. Um, well, it's just a failed state. It doesn't mean we can't make it better. Um, uh-uh. You know, uh-uh. when Cuba is just one of the examples, we have so many. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. let me ask you, would you say socialism and communism are the same thing? Uh, definitionally, they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not. 
from what I've read and please verify me because I always I feel like I go and read it back like 12,000 times and I'm like which one is which one again like mm-hmm. meaning like I, I go back but in yeah. the ideal communism world uh, nobody ever has to touch money but the problem the problem is that inevitably and the, it, it is the plan in the greater scheme of it is that socialism is meant to lead to communism exactly. and that that it can you know what I mean? It What socialism is meant to do is break capitalism. Mm-hmm. And so in that process, that's why people don't want socialism, because it's a step in 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 what for many is the wrong direction. Yeah, it's a step in 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 the lack in the consolidating of power in the hands of the state and making it. And I think this is where people don't understand this. You speak so much about like what paternalism is within your social circles and culturally, there is nothing more paternal than the paternal state of socialism, yeah. thinking it knows better for you than you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I also oh, it's, I got. Yeah, I forgot the thing I was going to say because I really <laughs> got entranced by that. I really I was like, yeah, that was yes. good. That was good. Yeah. No. I think I oh I remember now because I re- went back to the thing that blew my mind. Um, I also think that people are so quick, and this is on how to be a tyrant. Another thing that I can't stop talking about. Um, but people are so willing to give up their freedom, oh my God. so willing. And I think like if and it's uh, this whole I, I can remember when people started saying like I'm gonna be a viejita. I'm like me acuerdo because when I'm old I feel like I'm only gonna speak Spanish. Me acuerdo cuando empezaron a decir lo del capitalismo because it's like all of a sudden it was like it's all capitalism's fault and mm-hmm. I and I was like what or like the the fun quote like because capitalism I'm like not because capitalism because assholes like yeah. like yeah. come on yeah come on like it's not it's people and I feel like if people started to look at like with your dollar is a vote your dollar is your way to co-sign something your dollar if we all get together mm-hmm. we start our dollars towards certain movies getting made and those movies get made. You don't want those movies to get made. I remember this. This is obviously a very specific argument that I got in the middle of the street in New York. You don't want those movies to get made. You put your dollars somewhere else like that's it is the one. Yes, it's just your one dollar next to Jeff Bezos. Many dollars. Fine. But it is your way to to I can I just say Uh, supply and demand. Can I just say I have to say this. One of the funniest things in my life um, was that people, I was in a conversation in a rehearsal where people were like, yeah, because it's all capitalism's fault. It's all capitalism's fault. Hey, that prop, we need it tomorrow. Let's order it on Amazon. And I was like, do you know if I could roll my eyes any further, they're going to go to the back of my head. Because I would say like, fine, you're against it. Then go. And you know, what's funny is that I would make it a point to shop at the pharmacy that was underneath my uh, my building because it was this poor little this poor little pharmacy. And it reminded me of the lady that I used to do the farm. I would go to pharmacy yeah. here and I would go and purchase things there, even though they didn't have my favorite brand of shampoo. They didn't have any of that, but I would make it because I was like small business. I want you right. to continue yeah. to grow, which which is also part of this thing. Like, wh- who, who am I going to buy books from? I go to books and books because yes. they're bad. And because they run the book fair and because Mitchell Kaplan is awesome and because there would like the literary scene in Miami is them and because it goes beyond here and because it represents our voice and because I have the power to say I'm going to buy my books there, you know, 
And yeah, for me, it's watered down to go buy it on Amazon. It breaks it breaks something that's insanely valuable to me. Mm -hmm. Therefore, like you're saying, I use my dollar in the way of and I go to books and books, you know, but like think about that. Think about how books and books has survived uh, because I worked at books and books when I was 18 years old, when all the big chain stores were were coming in and there was a big threat when they were opening up that Barnes and Nobles, like yeah. would it end? And guess what? It didn't. No. And you know what? They both survived for a long time. And books and books grew and grew and grew. Why? Because people supported it and because they went and because he was smart and open to cafe. And like, you know, there was like, (laughs) I think it was also was cool because I will say that, but I mean, the Barnes and Noble that's there on Miracle Mile now, it's mostly toys now. Yes. It's like a toy store. It's mostly a it's toy store. It's half a toy store. You're right. And they don't know what they're talking about. Like what I remember from working at Books and Books is that you better freaking know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You better read all those books and you better know when they call you because people call you and ask you the most random questions when yeah. you book, work at a bookstore like that. I had my pockets full of these crazy, crazy questions, I, like little a little piece of paper. I just remember that's all I remember, like pockets full of questions that I would have to call them back yeah. and be like, OK. And that was part of my job at the bookstore it was like information. It's true. Books and book going there. It's like it's an experience. It's not just going to a bookstore. Really like you're is. having like a whole experience. You're having a coffee. Uh, you know, the person that's ringing you up, you can have like an entire conversation with them about just the it's most random so cool. thing. It's it's yeah, it's an experience. I, yeah. I could go on and on. I remember the, the woman who would buy the books for the kids section. Mm-hmm. I just remember how much she knew about every single book out there on the market for kids. It was like this and 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 this. And this. I was just like, this is freaking Disney World. This one that I was showing you when we started, I got a books and books. There, there That's where I came across. Of course, and I'm they like, also oh carry God. really good. They do they carry things. Section. They do have a Cuba section. Yeah, they do. They, they know do. their market. <laughs> wow. Mitchell this conversation has gone smart. everywhere. <laughs> so this is this is, um, you know, Miami Same lit. Page. Yeah. Yeah, we got to get to books, girls. We just have to. We have to. And on the question, on the topic of books, uh, what are your favorite books? What are you currently reading? Who's your favorite author? Tell me everything. <sighs> okay, so I, I know one that you wanted to say. What? I know what you're going to say that I want to say. but Which one am I going to say? No, I know what you're going to say that, that you want to say. say. Okay, you're, you, I'm, I'm going to leave, you know. I really thought about so this. I'm no, I'm going to say the one that I want. So this is the hardest book I've ever read in my life. Another one that Vanessa's like, oh, my God, again. Um, OK, there's a there's a whole thing. Um, my best friend also told me to not talk about all the self-help books that I've read because I'm obsessed with self-help books. I just love them. Obsessed with that. I am obsessed with all the science books, all of that. Did you read the sorry to interrupt you? What is it? What's the full title? The Japanese Art of Tidying Up or whatever? The Marie Kondo? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I will because obviously oh, I have this house sometimes is a full mess. You have but to read what it. I will say, I will read it. The hardest book I've ever read. And the reason I read it was because I totally had a crush on this guy. But I was like, I'm pretty sure that the only reason that I met this guy actually was for me to read this book. It's called The Courage to Be. And it's written by Paul Tillich, who is actually like a Lutheran uh, pastor. It's very weird recommendation of a book. However, this book, all I can tell you is that at the end of reading that book, I, I read the last the last sentence of it. 
on the train in New York. Mm -hmm. And I remember just finishing the book, closing the book and looking up. And I for real loved every single person on that train. I was like, humanity is amazing. It was like, I felt, I felt like God in the room. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. And part of it was because it was the, it was talking about what it means to be a human being Mm -hmm. in a world. Um, It talks a lot. One of the things I love is like, he he talks a lot about what it, when, when to be part of the group and when to be an individual and the importance of the balance of the two. That's the part of the book that it, it was. And I think also it was like the feat of reading that massive, slightly boring at times book, but it was, it was dense, but it was, it was like, I, I just love that book a lot. That's my answer. Yeah. Um, I, th- I'm looking at, I'm literally looking at the last couple of red things and I had, a have been having a George Orwell moment, um, where I reread animal farm and 1984 and I really, 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 really feel like if you want to know what Cuba's like, read 1984. Just read 1984 and take it literally. Yes. Just take yeah. it literally. Just just literally be like, this is Cuba. Treat it Those as a historical the- fact. It's not fiction. It's just Merisa. I was yeah. reading it. I was like, oh, my God. And 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 then I you forget, like, why these books are in the place that they are and what. So I start to go back and, and, and look at George Orwell and you know, him having this very like idealistic version of what of what communism might be or, 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 for example, and and going to the Spanish Civil War. And I think that the people who experienced the Spanish Civil War and saw that on one side were the fascists, on the other side were the communists, and they were equally brutal um, and had to experience so many phases of these totalitarian regimes. One, you know, civil war, which was incredibly com- complicated in Spain. And then having to, you know, then there's World War II. And, and in our case, there's there's Castro. In my grandfather's case, he, he went through all three of those, you know, like he escaped the Spanish Civil War and then Hitler and then Castro. So the the knowledge base that's in this in 1984 is just I was like, just guys, read 1984 and then you'll know Cuba. And the other thing that I'm reading is um, how, well, I'm revisiting uh, the uh, uh, unfair, unbearable lightness of being just because there's a bunch of stuff with, you know, like Czech Republic and Czechoslovakia mm-hmm. and Prague and a, a lot of things in that history that I just want to hit up and I'm doing it first through fiction and then elsewhere. And then because I have kids, I revisited this book called How Children Succeed the other day. Um, just because it's just complicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough for real. Parenting is tough. Oh, dear Lord. I just want to say that I have been I've, I've watched Vanessa become a mom mm-hmm. and now I have mom friends, even though I'm not a mom. Um, I have Sandy, my pup who's stuck next door. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get I live next door to my parents, which is the whole thing. I'm going to get super yelled at right now for leaving the dog next door. But um what I will say is that just being an observer of people in full motherhood is one of the, like, I don't even understand. Like, I'm like, I'm amazed at every single one of you. I think that los ovarios lo tienen bien puesto. And (laughs) there is this, um, it just makes me think about like, what my mom did and what my grandmother did, and especially our grandmothers who had to make decisions for their children and escaping and all these things. 
of like what it what it entails to be a mother that I am in awe, just in awe. You missed the um one of the the we've been interviewing so many people we've had to split up. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them was a Peter Pan. And um he was talking about how his mother had to um how his mother put him on a plane. Pedro Pan essentially were mm-hmm. like the kids who left. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I know you know. No, for, for the people that are listening, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going. Yes, I agree. Yeah. The uh, essentially, parents put their kids on airplanes. Um, the Catholic Church assisted, and um, they thought because parents were afraid mm-hmm. of what would happen that the children would become property of the state, and that they, you know, they would be shipped off, and all kinds of things. Some of which happened, you know. Um, and so they said, okay, well, you leave without me first children and I'll meet you except Cuba got locked down and a lot of those people got stuck without parents forever and some of those people just reconnected with their parents many years later and some people connected reconnected again more quickly the ones that were lucky um but this guy you know that thought of motherhood like this he was talking about how his mother you know put him and his brother at 12 and 14 on this airplane and said you need to leave or else like this is for you mm-hmm. but thought his his sentiments were so i understand but i'm not sure i can forgive this because i had to live without you and you got stuck over there and the 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 complexity of all that stuff and when i think about those mothers i don't even know like oh, i don't even know like if i tell you straight up i'm like i don't think i could do that i don't know though you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't know because you do crazy shit when you're a mother, when you're like, you yeah. need to survive and be the best that you can be on. It doesn't matter. And also the threat, the actual real threat of the real threat of like mm-hmm. the government, your children. And, and mm-hmm. not to not to like, like even later, even later that there was like there's stories that we've heard of people like, bueno, y teníamos miedo que nos quiten a los niños y esto y lo otro. And you're hearing I mean, there's this story here in America, which is just rough, like you know, this mother who just got her kids taken away for like some very, no, no, no. She doesn't want me. I know every time I try to bring up this story, she's I'm stopping. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. No, it's just a lot. It's just a lot. And so moms, I think moms are dads too. I've, I've, I, I have a love for my father, but moms, I don't know what the world I I've dated people. This is so weird. I've dated people with daddy issues mm-hmm. and those are somehow survivable, but people with mommy issues. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it, it, I mean, it's it's it is, it is because it's a, it's a, that's a certain bond. It's tough. Uh, it's very tough. And now that you girls mentioned, uh, you know, the whole Peter Pan situation, that uh, there's that argument of like, well, they would never really take your kids away, the state. And but- um, th- that's something and I'm sure you've come across in, in your in your interviews and in your in your studies. And but it's just something that I've always wondered, like, how come that's not more uh, deeply looked into? Because my uncle was one of those kids that he didn't get shipped over here. He's you know, he stayed with my grandparents and you know, 10 years later, at the age of 15, he was put on a plane to Angola and was told to go fight. And they never told my grandparents where he was going, for how long, who he was with. For, I think it was four days, my grandparents had no idea what had happened to their child. No 
idea. And he was a whole like world away. And I mean, July 11th, they were taking kids out of their house, taking kids out of their house to go and and put on gear and stand in front of people and tell them to. um, Well, today they were the one of them. One of the interviews was uh, the brother of one of them that uh, had to fight. He was 16 and he was forced to fight and bear pigs. And yeah. one of the biggest traumas of of, uh, you know, on the side of Cuba, yeah, right, right. Um, of his life. And it was just like, you have no choice. You have to go fight. And I will say just as close as like my grandfather was leaving as a political prisoner. And this um, Carter was helping him to get out of Cuba. And he's about to sign. And he's like, wait, where's my kid on this? And he's like, and they literally used these words. Oh, no, no. Your your child belongs to the state. Mm-hmm. And and. He said, well, I'm not leaving without him. And he was basically a plantado, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it was over and over and over and over and over until they let him leave. Finally, they were like, we need to meet this thing with Carter. So we're going to let this kid go. But it was it was essentially. No, he's 16. Sorry. They're, mm-hmm. they're a partnership. And I mean, and then here we go. Right. Like Escuela Campo and all yeah. these things like, you know, there's a lot. I, I honestly want to even talk more in detail, even though she has said it, but she said it so spread out. My mom talks a lot about La Escuela Campo mm-hmm. and all the time you spend away from your parents. And there's a there's a cost to that. And and, you know, I don't I don't know. And I don't such know. Such a if pivotal I, age, too. Oh that, you know, can you imagine 15, 16, you get sent like to a, a farm no. to just like, 11. pick tobacco leaves? 11. Yeah. 11 with her little hands in cow manure. And she would talk about how she would get all these her little 11 year old hands like all around the fingernails. She got like all these warts around it from the work that she used to do. This is an 11 year old. When I was 11, the most traumatic thing that had happened was that watching the 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 towers, you know, yeah. that was I will say that that like kind of blew my world open of like, oh, this isn't the safest place in the world. People can people hate us. Right. That yeah. was like yeah. the right. the thing. But I kept on going to school and I kept on, you know, like. I got to go and, and get an art degree. Like, let's let's be honest. I walk around the world just making shit up. That's what I got <laughs> went to school for. But it's it's more it's more than that. Don't that. We don't make shit up. But, you know, I, I I just think like. The limitation of a child. In Cuba is just intense and putting a parent in that choice is like, what is the right choice? And some kids wanted to leave. My my uncle told yeah, my yeah. aunt. Yeah, my my uncle told my aunt at 14. He was like, if you don't let me go, I'm going to hate you forever. Yeah, she was like, OK, well. I mean, honestly, the lucky, lucky those those kids, because they were like, I really want to leave mom, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah, that it was available for them. Yeah, it's it's intense that the history of everything that people have suffered through is it's oh my intense. God. Um. Uh, you since you brought up your what you do for a living, <laughs> let's talk about Abre Camino. Yes, Abre Camino is uh, <laughs> our company is a multimedia uh, collective. Uh, we do literary work. We do um, theatrical. theatrical productions. We do film. We do TV. We do podcasts. We do music, um, and we're very lucky to work with very talented people. 
Um, and really it started because we were working together. Here's what's really funny. We thought um, we were just going to join ourselves together. And it was just a way to make sure that people hired us together. And now we realized that we were, that we started to produce work and we're like, Oh, a thing that we thought that we had at one point said, we're not producers. All of a sudden we're producing work. Um, and yeah, we met during Amparo, well, before Amparo, but Amparo kind of solidified our Abre Camino-ness. Yeah. And I think uh, the reason why we called it Abre Camino was because um, we had two pilot versions of Amparo before um, Amparo, the Amparo experience, the semi-permanent uh, yeah, production in Miami that lasted for eight months. That's amazing. <laughs> We know all the all the the hit terms that we need to like be able to sell our next thing. Um, but the the New York production that we did to test out to see if it would play to an American audience um, in that we had at the beginning, we kind of opened it up with the spirit of Elewa and he was abriendo camino. And then there was a song that we made up that was Abre camino. Yeah, <laughs> basically that. And then it just it was this chant that that permeated everything. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, that's who we are. That's who we are. Yeah. And I feel like we just kind of I mean, I don't know about you, but like I wake up and I see this like massive, like clearing of bush and I'm yes. like, we're making this thing and like Cuba's going to be free on top of all of it. Yes, that, because that's part of this company, really, honestly. We we can't stop. Like we lit. Like I wish. Sometimes we're like, okay, we're not. We're gonna try to not focus on Cuba. And somehow it's always there. Um, it's not the only thing we do. We have kids stuff. We have fun romantic comedies. We have sagas, but that has a little bit of Cuba in it. Um, so there's <laughs> there's there. It isn't only that, but it's clear that it's our heart, and we. I, I know for sure. And I can, I think I speak for both of us that it's our mission. Yeah. Like since we were kids yeah. to tell Cuba's story truthfully with all the facts, with everything we've got. And so that's something that is at the core. And I, and you know, um, it's the best to do it with a team member who you like utterly respect and, and that feels Cuba and feels this work the same way that you do. Right. The cute thing is that sometimes we finish each other's sentences. <laughs> so how do you navigate um, friendship and business? Because I can imagine that sometimes that can be difficult. No. No? I don't think so. No. no. It, it, I mean. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I mean, I will say that I'm the kind of person that's always working. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, I don't know if I could have... Yes, I can, Vanessa. Don't be an ass. <laughs> <laughs> I already, you know, but I was going to say, like, can you have like really true friends that don't also work with you, Vanessa? Yes, yes, you can. You have a lot of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but but I think I don't know. I think that like really, really work and my life are together. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's not been hard Do at you all. ever disagree on anything. Oh, oh yeah. Uh-huh. So how yeah. do you, how do yeah. you like how do you do that? I think that's yeah. I think that you, I, I will say that there's usually someone who is way more adamant <laughs> than the hospital. The, the oh the yesterday. What would the the encajal? 
the fashion. Yes, there was a full disagreement. The only way I know how to explain how here's what I know through when we get to points, usually it's very like and yes, and this and pop, 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 pop. And then there's a moment where we both go like like there's like a no this way, no that way. I will say that if somebody is way, way more passionate about the argument, usually I will say that one person is like, I'm not that it's, it's not that serious for me. If it's if it's like that, if it's like, oh, wait, you really, really, you really care about this. This is for some reason in your <laughs> wheelhouse and we're just going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, but but sometimes it is like, no, I feel passionate about this and I feel like this. I feel like this. And usually the solution is actually somewhere where the two of them hit and make something really interesting. So I think it would be wrong not to have the clash. Mm-hmm. Meaning the clash builds something. You it know moves what I mean? You forward. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I will say that it's always done with respect. Yeah. It's yeah. never, respect. no one. Literally. Right. <laughs> right. There's no, there's none of that where I know, like, for example, in this, in this um, friendship is I've learned of like, cuando hago encaja, finalmente encaja. And I think that that's something like we, we just had a moment of like, well, I think it should be like this. And I was like, I actually feel the utter opposite. And then we found the middle and I don't know what it is, bro. I swear. I, oh my God. I said, bro, in a Miami okay. podcast, <laughs> bro, seriously. It's okay, bro. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it just goes like, once we hit it, it does feel like, huh, it's como algo, like la pieza finally encaja. And you're like, oh, yeah, you know, right. Yeah. But we never shy away from it. I think that the good thing is that we're both truthful. Like, it's like, no. I mean, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I was a little intense there. Like, sometimes <laughs> I think about, I am like, uh, I was intense. That was intense, Vanessa. And next time, you know, I sometimes driving home and I'm like, that was a lot. <laughs> you could have done it. Like, maybe like you were like at a 10 and a six would have sufficed. <laughs> You know, and, but then at the same time, it's like, what do you do with? I don't know. It's OK sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, I, I never I feel like I don't know. Sometimes I actually really enjoy when she gets super passionate. I don't there's only two people that I that it's not that I laugh out of. Out of like making fun of it's mm-hmm. that I enjoy it and I'm like, that's so fun. <laughs> like, yeah, it brings so, you, you know, joy. It does, because yeah. I, you know what? It's it's. um uh her in her full form right it's like the the lion has like busted out and it's like here to tell you the thing um and i never feel like it's too intense or something i feel like if so at some moment she's ever been intense in any situation i'm like yeah you know that one was she's like okay that was that was the one but also you know me quedo atrás yo no me no cuando yo pongo cara de tranca and i'm like este madre and she's like there's a way out of this. Cambia la cara. Hey. Do you get that comment? There's a solution. What's going on? <laughs> What's happening? There's a lot of things happening in that face. What is it? <laughs> she does do that. I will say that sometimes it takes me and, and my best friend, Bertha, will say the same thing that it's unfortunate. I have to learn how to do it for myself, too. But I will say that I'm very lucky to have people this close to me that are like, I can sense that something's wrong. You haven't even gotten to yet. Like, I'm just like walking around like this, like a little bulldog that's like upset. <laughs> and then they're like, hey, caradranca, like, are you going to do something about it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I am upset. <laughs> and then it all comes out in a hot mess and it's not cute. <laughs> right. Great. 
I think it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's so refreshing to see like two women uh, working because usually in social media and in media, you, like women get pitted against each other. So it's I nice know, to no. see. If anything, I feel like we usually gravitate to a lot of women. Yeah, like yeah. I'm. A, I don't recognize that we don't work like, with a lot of men until there's a dude in the room. I'm like, oh my god, you're a dude. Yeah, and it's there's different. a guy here. And, <laughs> yeah. and we, I think we have to kind of force ourselves to you know, like work with men. Yeah. Because I, I'm always like her, 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 her. Like I always want to hire all the women. And right. It's not, and it's not like, um, como te explico? it's yeah. not a, like intentional, like we're only mm-hmm. hiring women. It's just that there's this sort of, I, I do think that a lot of our work is feminine. Right. A sisterhood. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. There's a lot of emotion in it. There's a lot of like sense. Like I will say that women tend to get the like, and then there's like the ocean comes to life and then this thing happens and all that stuff. And usually the women are the ones like, yes. And sometimes the dudes are like, that sounds, I don't understand what's (laughs) happening there. What is all that? (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's so funny. So what can we expect from Abre Camino coming up? What can we tell people about anything you can reveal? Um, there's a lot there's a lot really a lot of stuff but um there's a there's a there's a plethora of things what i would say is that 2020 we took it as a one big long residency of us to like create work for the next at least 10 years we were like <gasps> that's so exciting hands and we we really incubated a lot of chicks yeah little chicks little and chicks. now they're all growing yeah yeah so one is a is a social media uh, type experience on our page that is um that's gonna be really fun and well, beautiful I, I think we could say that the fact that we've been interviewing a lot of people yes. <laughs> has something to do with that particular project we've been interviewing a lot of people and their stories and it will appear as a social media component first so you can look that and we we can look towards that and then we always continue to tell the amparo story um so there's going to be a little bit of more of that this year which is very exciting um we can say that we can't say in what form and since we're in pandemic world we're not going to have an immersive theatrical production right now mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it can't be immersive exactly and then we're just developing a lot of plays and yeah. a lot of a lot of work that that's well, really i mean there's there's a uh, several plays that are like slated for production, but we can't talk about yet. And so then, you know, like well, Rubenology, we can't. Rubenology. Oh my God. That's yes. Go. Okay. So Ruben Rabasa <laughs> is one of the most magical. And I don't mean that in a facetious way, like mm-hmm. literally one of the most magical human beings on the planet. He is 83 years old. Uh, when, by the time he performs this, he will be 84 and he is doing his one man show. Uh, if you see his face and you're Cuban American, you for sure have seen his face before. And um, you think that he's just some guy that you once on Salo Gigante, but he's also worked with Colin Firth, Adam Sandler, the Estefans, Andy Garcia, like this man, like before you know it and you sneeze uh um Ruben Ravasa has been in anything that you like even remotely look at um so we're doing a, a one-man show with him at Gable stage next year um and we're planning work around that um and that'll have several components to it which is very exciting um and on that work did you say we're working with Robbie and we're walking, walking, we're working with um, Robbie Ramos, who's an amazing actor and is in um, Heels, 
which is a new show right now on stars. And he was in Amparo just like Ruben. And um, he's going to be. So what's what's happening is that I'm co-writing with Ruben and Robbie is co-directing with Victoria Collado, nice. which is fun. It's going to be super fun and talk about dudes. So there you go. We're collaborating with dudes. There you go. See, you said no dudes. <laughs> we got two dudes. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're important. They're important. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're good peoples. They're in our family. That's so exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see what you all do. Since- Me too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could talk to obviously, because we, we're going on two hours. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> so we should probably do this again. But yes. for the time being, I'm going to uh, let's end it here because it's it's Friday night and you ladies have had a long day. My God, and it's Friday night. <laughs> so thank you so much um uh, and thank you to anybody or everybody i shouldn't say anybody to everybody listening and joining us uh we are so uh grateful and blessed and appreciative that you're here and we will have all the ladies information linked down below for whoever's joining us on youtube i always get this part wrong so don't forget i have my notes to like comment subscribe and the whole the whole shebang (laughs) because we love it amazing you should all subscribe because we approve of this thank you thank you yay thank you girls so much i really appreciate it